The Glory Center would like to welcome you to this podcast. We hope that this teaching will encourage and minister to you. And now, the message. Continuing in what I've been calling uh, Foundations, and today we're going to look at Holy Spirit. And as with all these topics, you know, a few weeks ago, the first one, we talked about what is God like. And we see from Scripture, repeatedly, God is Father, Son, Spirit, eternally, immutably like Jesus. So we went through that, which that, that drastically affects how we interpret Scripture. If Jesus, who is God in the flesh, and if God never changes, Malachi 2, I, the Lord, change not, Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ, same yesterday, today, and forever, um, then God's not a murderer. God doesn't command genocide. God doesn't kill people. God doesn't send storms to wipe people out because Jesus never did those things. And Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus revealed the fullness of God where everyone else only had uh, types and shadows through a veil darkly. They did the best they could. uh, But John 1 says, no one has seen, and that word seen means to know by uh, intimacy, by experience, God at any time except the only begotten God who came from the bosom of the Father. He has revealed him. So a lot to say about that. um, But nonetheless, last week, Uh, We looked at forgiveness and salvation, uh, which are not synonymous. And then uh, we see that God removed the sin problem, forgiveness, so we could have salvation, eternal life, the new birth, all of that. Um, And so much more to say about all of those, but we're not going to spend eternity because we could spend a lifetime on all these things. But today we're going to look at the Holy Spirit and... Um, as we jump in here, you see at the top of your page, page one, I, I put comforter. So we're going to look at two aspects of the Holy Spirit. And first of all, just his, his role in the life in, in, of the believer. And I think this will be very helpful. Uh, so I put, as you see at the top there, comforter, not condemner. Not habitual condemner, nagger, make you feel better, convictor. No, comforter. All right, and so we're going to go by what Scripture tells us here. So, starting in John chapter 16, which this is so incredible, there's so much in this. Uh, John 16, starting in verse 7, and as you see there, verses 7 through 11. Check this out. This is just baffling. Jesus says, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. You ever stopped and thought about that? We're told... It's so terrible down here, he might, he's got to come back and save us. The gospel says, hello, he already saved you. Greater is he who's in you. That's the Holy Spirit. Than he who's in the world. We need to believe that at some point. The devil's not taken over. Jesus is not going to have to come back to rescue a defeated church. Because the blood of Jesus and his resurrection life and God Almighty, the Holy Spirit himself inside of us, apparently isn't big enough to get the job done. Well, thank God that's not true. Hallelujah. The church says, no, it's better that you come back. Jesus said, it's better I go. Why is that, Jesus? For if I do not go away, the comforter, the helper, will not come to you. In other words, Jesus had to go to the cross and provide salvation, regeneration, Whereas Jesus on the earth, there's one Jesus. But when he does his work of redemption and sends the Holy Spirit, now he, by his Spirit, is in all of us. So now we all, you know what I'm saying? We have access all day, every day, at all times. 
How, you don't have to. You don't have to call and you know. Could you imagine trying to schedule an appointment with Jesus? Yeah, in 25 years, he's got three minutes he can book you in for. No, you know that just wouldn't quite work, would it? But we've got all day, everyday access right here. He's within us. He said, "I will send him to you." And when he comes, now now you got to pay close attention to these words. He will convict the world concerning sin. Who's he going to convict? In the first part, who? The world of sin. Now thank God Jesus goes on and explains all this. And righteousness, not unrighteousness, and judgment. Then he then he expounds upon it, thank God. He says concerning sin because they do not believe in me. That's the singular sin he convicts the world of. As Brother Hagen taught, and as many other people have taught, sins don't send people to hell. Jesus dealt with all of that. The only thing that's left is, as Brother Hagen said it, there's no longer a sin issue. There's only the son issue. Sin's gone. Will you receive the son? The son died the sin away, right? And so that's really powerful. That's amazing. It's so vastly different from so much of what you know, we've been taught. He'll convict the world of sin because they do not believe in me. Going on, he says, concerning righteousness, because I go to my Father and you no longer see me. So now, as we'll, as we'll go on in the Scriptures, for the believer, because first he said, because they do not believe in me. Then he said, concerning you, because I've been with you. I'm your righteousness. I've been visibly present with you, but I'm going away. But Holy Spirit will come. He will be the comforter, the encourager, the helper, the advocate on the inside of you. He will remind you that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Hallelujah. Now, Holy Spirit, as we all know, and when you just preach this from the Scriptures, I, I know it's difficult um, when you've been taught otherwise for so long. And it doesn't really matter what the Bible plainly says. It's, I've been taught this way for decades, and I don't care who, you know, I get that. But if we dare just consider believing what the Scriptures clearly say, I think this would be greatly to our advantage. Can you muster out a uh-huh? Um, well, let's just move on here. He says, I go to my Father, you no longer see me. And then he says this, concerning judgment, because, now notice this, because the ruler of this world has what? Has been judged. So I'm not waiting on Jesus to come do something about the devil. He already has. Colossians 2 says, Jesus disarmed principalities and powers, demonic powers in other words, and made a public show of them, a public spectacle, 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 hallelujah, new words, triumphing over them in the cross. Again, our victory is not looking forward to what God will do. Our victory is looking back to what God has done. Amen? And that, that is... As, as many people have said, we don't pray, it's just an example, but we don't pray for victory, we pray from victory. Because we've already got it. Because we already have the eternal life of God within us. We already have the greater one on the inside of us. He already 
bore all sickness and disease and pain and sorrow. He already, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, became our poverty so we could have abundance. You know, so we, we approach things. We, we don't pray for God to do something about the devil. We use our authority against the devil. Amen? Because he's already defeated. Hallelujah. Woo! I mean, not one of us will ever encounter a stupid demon in any way that that rat's not already defeated. Ah, I think of uh, Linda would know it better than I would. I believe Satan appeared to uh, Pastor Cho over, you know, in South Korea, biggest church in the world, at least I, I assume it still is, hundreds of thousands. And uh, I heard Dave Roberson tell the story. So, I, you know, you just, but anyways, uh, it sh kind of shook him up a little, which, you know, okay, yeah, I, makes sense. And Lester's, Lester told brother, uh, Pastor Cho, next time he comes, send him to me. And if you know Lester, boy, that's just, that's like, send him to me, you know. Lester apparently had a, a deeper revelation of something that, that Pastor Cho maybe wasn't quite fully there yet. You know, you know what I'm saying. Pastor Cho's an awesome man of God. Don't, you know. Um, Smith Wigglesworth, I'm sure many of us have heard the story where a devil, I don't know, you know if it was Satan or just what, I, Linda, again, might know this better than I recall, um, came in his room and, uh, Smith, Smith, uh, came in his room and like started shaking his bed and kind of moved it across the room and something else, blew the can, I don't know exactly. And then I think Smith, uh, it could be, I, I've only heard a, one account of it. Yeah, Smith woke up and said, oh, it's just you. And then he went back to sleep. And then he said, wait a minute, you get back here. Put my bed back where it was. And it did, you know. So that's, that's knowing the authority of, you know, I was one time, um, just a couple of few years ago, maybe, maybe with the stuff I'm, the devil's tried to afflict me with, all that, I, what it was. But I, I, it may have been in church here, if, it, if I remember right. But I remember thinking, it just came to me. Like it wasn't, some, I would not normally think this way. But this thought just came to me out of nowhere. Probably just the dumb devil. That, man, the demon that, you know, the devil that's been assigned to afflict me with all this stuff. It, you know, just in a flash you think something. In a millisecond. I just kind of saw and thought, he must be this big, nasty, giant looking thing. And then about two seconds later, it had to be the Spirit of the Lord. I thought, you know what? That dumb thing's probably about this big. And just, in either way, it doesn't matter because he's defeated. So it doesn't matter. He could be bigger than the moon. He could be smaller than an ant. doesn't matter. He has no authority. And that's why we have access to Jesus' name to, act, to, to enforce the victory, the authority that, how do you say, we, we are using the authority for the victory that's already there, in other words, you know. And so there's a kingdom that's been set up, the kingdom of God. And so Satan and demons are illegal trespassers or, you know what I mean, they're trying to do things they don't have the authority or the right to do. And so we have the blood-bought right to use the name of Jesus and the Spirit of God within us um, when the devil comes. So he's defeated. Of course, that doesn't mean he doesn't exist. It doesn't mean he won't try to illegally, if you will, afflict all of us he will um, but thank god we have blood-bought promised victory and so help me i will never 
believe, say, or preach otherwise. It's not going to happen. I'll never, you know, I'm just, no, it's not. He's a rat. He is defeated. And we're going to stick with the Word of God. And we're going to see miracles that belong to us. We're going to see the victory that belongs to us. And that's just the way it is. Amen? Thank you, Lord. So he convicts us that the believer, that Satan has been judged. So in that moment where the, the devil put that flash in my mind, or just my own carnal thinking, I don't know, whatever, that, oh, this must be a big, powerful demon. No, the Lord then convicted me. Wait, what are you thinking? He probably is a stupid little limp, and he's defeated anyways. It wouldn't matter, you know. And so that was the Lord convicting me that Satan has been judged. He's defeated. Jesus defeated him. Jesus has the keys, Revelation tells us, of death and Hades, the, the abode of the dead, the realm of darkness. Jesus stripped him of the keys of, the, of authority that Adam gave him. And then he grants us the, the right to use his authority in his victory. Because Jesus defeated Satan as a man so that you and I, as mankind, men and women, could have the same victory. If he would have just done it as God, we wouldn't have that authority that we now have. But thank God he did, and we do. Woo! i got to move on. Hallelujah. Uh, number two here, and this will be very connected here, uh, these, these scriptures as we go through these, looking at the, the ministry. Andrew Womack calls it the positive ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, John 14, verses 16 and 17. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. Thank God. Oh, I used to be taught every time you sin and thought, word, or deed, whether you know it or don't know it, omission, commission, you're out of fellowship with God. Gosh, who could live that way? That is insanity. That is religion run amok. Thank God the Holy Spirit convicts us, no, you're the righteousness of God in Christ, not in your own good works or bad works. It's in Him. And so the Holy Spirit is with us forever. I mean, if He left you every time you sinned and every time you were bound with sin and couldn't find your way out of it, how, how are you going to get out of it? How are you going to walk in the freedom from the bondage of sin? You know what I'm saying? You know, as a believer, maybe you, because newsflash, we've all got problems, and newsflash, we know you've got them too. And I've got them too. We may not know what they are. We may not want to know what they are. But we all know we've all got stuff. And it's because you're human. So give yourself a break. <laughs> you know, uh, Trust the greater one within you to help you as you go on. And he will. He definitely will. That's, that's what, part of what he does. But you know, I remember thinking like, because I was taught it, out of fellowship. Whatever that, you know, I guess he... He, he leaves you or he, I don't know if there's a little door in there, He go, a room he goes and hides in and he won't talk to you. I don't know how he does this, but you're out of fellowship. And then it's like, well, you got to repent, which isn't really repentance, the way they normally teach it, and get right with God again. And, well, if, he, if he's out of fellowship and he doesn't hear my prayers because I committed a sin, how does he hear me beg for forgiveness and promise to do better and ask, ask him to help me? So it's just, it's absurdity, just absolutely you know, to the nth degree. Jesus said he'll be with you forever. And thank God he is. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it doesn't see him or know him. But 
talking to the disciples here before the cross, he says, but you know him because he abides with you. And in other words, after the cross, he will be in you. And then he says this, I will not leave you. King James says comfortless. In the Greek, it's the word orphans. That is so beautiful. I will not leave you as orphans. <sighs> We've been adopted into Abba's family. You know? And, and I, 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 would, I would never belittle adoption, so I just you know, bear with my uh, imperfect analogy here. But you know, in adoption, uh, if I adopted, you know, Kara and I could give them everything. And, and truly be ours. I'm not belittling that at all. Please don't misunderstand. But the only thing I couldn't do is put my nature in them. But in being adopted by God, we're, we are legit. He has put his life and nature on the inside of us. We are truly sons and daughters of God. It's not a metaphor. It's literal. That is incredible. I, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. What's he saying? Holy Spirit being with you is the same and just as good as Jesus himself being with you. Like he was with them in the flesh. That's what he's saying. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. How? I will send the Helper, the Spirit of Truth, who's with you and will be in you. And he will abide with you forever. Ah, it's beautiful. Now look at... Uh, Still on page 1 under 2, uh, A and B here, both in Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. He says, In him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, a down payment, an earnest, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. So Paul tells them here, when you believed, you were sealed. <sighs> He's with you forever. Oh, I had a bad thought. Unsealed. Oh, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I promise to do better. Help me. Resealed. No, you were sealed. <laughs> okay? So thank God. And he's, in Ephesians 4, uh, similarly, on B, he says this, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for building up edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So there's a greater context to these verses, but just very clearly there, he's saying, well, how, how would you grieve? How would you act contrary to the Spirit of God within you and what He wants to do through you. Well, he says here, no unwholesome words, but words that build people up and minister grace to them. So by ministering contrary to grace and tearing people down, that's how you would be acting contrary to and grieving Holy Spirit within you. And I never heard, I just, don't grieve the Spirit! And it could be anything. I mean, I've heard, don't chew bubble gum in the service, you'll grieve the Spirit. Yeah, I'm not joking. You hear all sorts of stuff. Yeah, thank God. I've heard, I got an amen there. Some, some people have heard these things. You'll grieve the Spirit of God, you know, if you blink during worship. I don't know. But no, he, he's not touchy. And we think he's like the most neurotic, touchy, sensitive, unfriendly, just, but he's not. 
He's the helper who abides with us forever. Amen. Now, I have been in moments where the, the glory of God falls in such unique and profound ways where, the, where like a, a holiness just falls on people. And you feel like if you move, it would just, I don't know, just be almost irreverent. But that's not some sort of condemnation. It's just when God's holiness moves in on such a tangible level. I mean, the glory of God tangibly. I mean, you just... You can be frozen it almost. And, and you know what I'm saying? But just this idea, just in a general context, you know, oh, you're chewing gum. You grieve the Holy Spirit. That's why he didn't move today. Come on. It is blue jeans. <laughs> These are dress pants that look like blue jeans. Yeah, oh, gosh. <laughs> Don't get me started on jeggings and leggings. Leggings have taken over the world. Holy moly. I had to talk Kara off a cliff yesterday. She's Kate Hudson, which is Goldie Hawn's daughter. She sells these like $70 leggings, you know, and there's some awful discount, $10 or something like that. And she comes to me to talk her out of it because she only has like 85 pairs. And so I have to talk her out of, you know, needing 85 more pairs, but it's out of control. Leggings have taken over. Yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. You get all the leggings you want, babe. She just felt the Holy Ghost when I said that. <laughs> she, she probably already had it ready and just, just now put confirm, you know. Uh, page two, just very little here in this regard. Uh, just continuing the same line of thought here to, to close this part of it. Romans 5, 5. Uh, says, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That's incredible. So, you know, Ezekiel and Jeremiah prophesied about God taking out this heart of stone, that spiritual death, that sin nature, and putting a new heart of flesh, the life of God, eternal life, giving us a new nature a new want to, new desires, new life, according to God's life. Peter said, we've been made partakers of the divine nature. Ah, so beautiful. So here he tells us, the love of God has been poured out or shed abroad within our hearts. That's awesome. So the process of ever learning to love more and more with, you know, like God does, um, which we all know is a process and a journey, that love's already there, though. It's not getting God to give me more love. It's, Lord, open my eyes. Help me to walk in the love, your love that's already within me. You know, So it's not getting something we don't have. Uh, point A there says, I said, the Spirit of God is synonymous with the love of God in our new hearts. The Spirit of God is synonymous with the love of God in our hearts, as Romans 5 says there. And then a few verses connected to this that are so powerful. Romans 8, 1, same page, page 2. Uh, There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then I said, Holy Spirit is not the voice of condemnation in our hearts, but rather the voice of righteousness and acceptance. Even if the Lord want, needs to correct us in an area, He won't tear you down and shame you and make you, 
as Mark Sharona said, God will never lead you back to Mount Sinai to ring you out. You know, he's given us a new heart. Jesus is so beautiful in the Gospels how he can address people's sinful habits that are destroying them without shaming and tearing them down and minister grace to them because grace is the only answer. You know, willpower, you found out by now you can't overcome things by willpower, hopefully. Even though you have the want to, the will is there, you know, but it takes the power of God within us to bring these things about. Like the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, we read it as if they're commands. They're not commands. They're promises of walking with God under grace. You know. Um, and then lastly, Romans 8, 5, uh, Romans 8, 15 and 16. He says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, talking about going under the law, but you have received a spirit of adoption, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit, that we are children of God. So that's what Holy Spirit does. He's a comforter. He's a helper. He's with you forever. He seals you. He convicts you that you're the righteousness of God and that Satan has been judged. He's the love of God on the inside of your heart. He's reminding you there's no condemnation, that you're accepted and that you are Abba's child. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good friend to have. Woo! A lot better than all the... Uh, misrepresentation of what I used to be told he was. A, just a Nobody wants a friend that all they sit there and do, all day, every day, you're not good enough. Why'd you do that? And, and, and they say, oh, the Lord's dealing with me. And the Lord will deal with you. But a lot of times, if it's over in that area of condemnation, it's just your own conscience and or the devil beating you up. John says in 1 John 3, that even if your own heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. That's awesome. But we can renew our mind. You know, we can, we can change what's in our heart. We can get the roots and the seeds of condemnation out and get the seeds of righteousness in there. I heard Brother Hagen say, he's got a, a teaching called um, uh, Six Hindrances, Six Big Hindrances to Healing. Brother Hagen says in that teaching that, um, sorry, I need a pen. Am I got a pen? An extra pen. I don't want to take your pen, Roxy. Oh, you do. Look at that. Boy, she's on it. Thank you. Thank you. Sometimes you preach and you got to take notes. Hallelujah. Um, what was that? Oh, Brother Hagen. He said that in his experience, believers, a lack of understanding righteousness is the biggest hindrance to healing, as far as he knew. And he said a lot of times as he would teach people, that you are the righteousness of God. You don't, and he also taught this, you don't grow in righteousness. You either are or you're not. Now you can grow in the revelation of it, and we're all hopefully ever doing that, but you don't become more, you're either pregnant or you're not. You're saved or you're not. To be saved is to be righteous. There is no such thing as I'm saved, but I'm not so righteous or a little less. That doesn't, that's silly man-made ideas that the Bible never teaches, all right? Um, but he said a lot of times as he would, show people from the scriptures that they were the righteousness of God in Christ, not in their works. He said, just sitting there and hearing that, people would just start getting healed effortlessly because condemnation was blocking them from being able to receive. We think our sin stops us from receiving. It's your guilty conscience and your condemnation that makes you feel unworthy that keeps you from receiving. Everybody Jesus healed in the Gospels had sin and not only had sin, they were sinners by nature. 
because it was before the cross. And Jesus never told a single person, not once, oh, I would, but I can't because you've got secret sin in your life. Oh, you've got some unconfessed sin. Not one time. And those doctrines are rampant through the charismatic church world and other areas of the church world. And there's not a, anything, no, nowhere. You know, Jesus is walking over to a leper. I will, oh, I can't. You've got secret sin. Well, what? Well, well yeah, go get it. You've got to keep short accounts with me. Well, what sin is it? I don't know. Search your heart. You know, I mean, that, that kind of stuff. And we've all been well-meaning victims of that at one time or another, possibly. You know, I, I know I have, and I, I know some of you have from, you know, things you shared with me. Um, now, the Lord can come to you and say, hey, this thing right here, let me just correct that and pull that out of your life. Oh, and that'll free you up to receive. Great. You know, I. who wants to sin when you've experienced the goodness of God? You know, it's just not a problem. Legalism for 2,000 years is trying to make the church stop sinning, and it's not worked yet with the legalism and the threats and the, the condemnation and the threats to hell and all that kind of stuff. Perhaps we should try the, the biblical way, you know, the grace of God. This isn't in your notes, but um, turn quickly here to Jude, you know, little one chapter Jude there. Right before Revelation. Also, by the way, as you're turning to Jude, Brother Hagen, one of his most famous books is called, um, I think it's called How You Can Be Led by the Spirit of God. Uh, chapter 16 or 17 in that book is called Tenderhearted. Brother Hagen teaches on the on the front page, the first page of that chapter, that many believers have been kept in bondage because they th wrongly think the Holy Spirit is the one constantly convicting them of their sins. He said that that's not what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts you of the sin of unbelief, and then you come to faith. And so it's amazing the Word of Faith world missed stuff like that that he taught, but somehow he did. Jude, um, look at this, uh, verse 20. Let me get there. says this, but you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, how? Praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now notice that. Now the legalistic mind always reads that and says, oh, I got to love more. I got to love more. I got to love more. It's good to love more, but you can't force it by willpower. But notice what he says, the love of God. That's God's love for you. Praying in, the, praying in tongues, praying in the Holy Spirit will cause that love of God that's shed abroad in your heart. It will keep you in the love of God as opposed to where the devil wants us in condemnation and shame. That makes sense? So that's a powerful uh, reality. All right, um, got to move on here. Let's get over here to page three, and we're going to switch gears a little bit. And I, you know, I wasn't sure what to call this this other aspect of the Holy Spirit. I just called it the Holy Spirit as the power source. So I think that'll sum all this up here. So page three and uh, top of the page there. John says, "As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance." 
But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And, of course, there's a lot in that. Um, John goes on here, and, you know, he's, he's rebuking the Pharisees at this point, And he actually goes on to, right after this, he's rebuking them. And, um, you know, he'll burn the chaff. And a lot of that has to do with 70 A.D., in other words. But there is a good aspect of the fire of God. Daniel, in Daniel's prophetic book, Daniel says there is a river of fire that flows out from God's throne. And the Orthodox Church has always taught for 2,000 years what we, you know, what we teach here along those lines, that that fire of God, it's not harmful. Or, you know, it's how you respond to it. Just like in your own house, or if you go out and you make a fire in your yard or something like that, if you treat it with respect and properly, it can give warmth, it can give light, it can help bring food, you know, etc. But if you mistreat it, it'll hurt you. But that doesn't mean it's trying, you know, so um, you understand when, you know, we talk about that from time to time. But there is a good aspect of this fire, you know, where the Holy Spirit burns things out of us that don't need to be there. Thank Purification, yes, thank, thank God. And I have, I've been in services where uh, people got ministered to and in a dynamic way, uh, the fire of God came on them and tremendous things happened. I mean, I, I've told you about some of it before, but um, they felt like the, there was a fire burning through them and believers and uh, burning. That's a dynamic manifestation. It doesn't have to be dynamic. Most of the time it's through the daily process of walking with God and especially praying in the spirit and the Lord, you know, works this work in us. But, you know, there's like anything, there's usually different ways to look at it. All right, under, under the point there, I said there are different opinions on what it means to be baptized in the Spirit, but we want to interpret Scripture with Scripture as much as possible and see what Scripture has to say uh, about this baptism. So let's look here. Number five, Acts 1.8. And I got several verses here under this. Jesus says, but you will receive power. Ah! <sighs> Isn't that awesome? You will receive, not earn. You don't earn the anointing. You don't earn the right to see people healed. Or it's received. You will receive power when? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Woo! Woo! Boy, I like that. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of of the earth and they did we know from church history the gospel went out to the world um, and from scripture um, Acts 2 4 here so Jesus is there telling the disciples particularly the Holy Spirit's going to come like we read in John you know he said I'm going to send him well how do we know from scripture how do we know a person has experienced this baptism of the spirit Right? Well, let's look what, what the Scripture says. Acts 2.4. And they were all filled with the Spirit. How do we know? And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So this was, 1 Corinthians 12 says there are diversities of tongues concerning the gifts of the Spirit, you know. And in those diversities of tongues, there is the most, if you want to call it standard, normal, is... As we're going to see here, you receive 
what Scripture calls the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and, I mean, you could say it in different ways, you receive your prayer language is typically speaking in tongues. And normal praying in tongues or speaking in tongues is something any believer can do at any time, as much as they want, when they want, where they want, period. It's for your own personal edification. The other diversities of tongues are manifestations of the Spirit that we can't control. That They work by grace through faith as the Spirit wills. So that would be like a church service. Somebody gives a word in tongues and somebody gives an interpretation. That's another diversity of tongues. We don't control that. That's, that's the manifestation of the Spirit as the Lord wills, right? Uh, Acts chapter 2 here is another diversity of which people by supernatural inspiration or utterance speak in other human tongues or languages that they have no knowledge of or can't normally speak. And I've never done that. I, I know plenty of people who have. Um, lots of people who've, uh, I, you know, Dave Roberson, I've heard him tell stories of, of it. I've, uh, a guy on Peter Youngren's show, if you know who Peter Youngren is, Linda and I might be the only ones, wonderful minister out of Toronto. Um, I've heard stories on his show about stuff like that. Um, my, my good friend Craig, uh, Jensen's cousin, had a, has a story where the Lord supernaturally uh, had him to speak in some sort of uh, Asian dialect. You know, he didn't know what it was. But um, uh, long story short, and, and I've also heard it, it, it can work in different ways. I've heard, I've heard people like Dave Roberson, I think, talk about they're in another country, or it could be in this country, but there's someone there, you know, that's maybe at his church. There's a visitor there who's from Russia or something. Dave's going along, praying for people, you know, worshiping God, praying in tongues. And then to him, he's just praying in tongues, but that person hears them speaking in their language perfectly. Does that make sense? So it can happen in a myriad of ways. You could not even necessarily be aware of it, like Dave would. Sometimes you are aware of it. And so, you know, I've just heard lots of stories um, about those types of things. And so there are, again, diversities of tongues. The main point here is the Scripture shows us when someone is baptized in the Spirit, contrary to what many of you have been taught, it is not synonymous with the new birth. It is a secondary, subsequent experience. It's just like salvation. God won't force it on anyone, but it's available for anyone. A lot of people don't want it because it flat out just freaks them out and they're too nervous about what other people would think and they might lose their ministry and they might lose their church and it might scare people off if they don't understand it. Well, who gives a big flying rip about something as stupid as that? And I'm in a good mood, I promise. <laughs> but I just, wasting our lives worrying about what other people think all the time when you could be following God in His fullness. Give me a break. And I'm not perfect and none of the rest of us are, but day by day, by grace through faith, I want to follow Him deeper, richer, more. You know what I'm saying? More and more into the things of God. It's there. It's there for the taking. You know? And so praying in tongues, uh, which 1 Corinthians 14 goes back and forth between praying in tongues and the gift of tongues for public assembly. And Paul says things there about don't just, I'm kind of paraphrasing, don't just come to the church service and just start, take over the service with praying in tongues. Now, God could lead it in a church service, you know, all right, everybody else pray in the Spirit or, you know, something like that. But people were getting way out of order and, like, taking over the services and causing confusion because they were praying in tongues and there's no interpretation because it wasn't the gift of tongues. But then Paul goes on to say that the gift of tongues with interpretation, Paul said, you can and 
will and should, as the Spirit wills, use that in your church services. Paul says, because when the interpretation comes and it reveals the secrets of the hearts of men, unbelievers will report of you, God is among you for sure. So people totally abuse those scriptures and say, oh no, you should never do that in a public assembly. Paul says, no, don't get out of control with praying in tongues and take over the service when it's not the gift of tongues. He said, but the gift of tongues not only will edify the believer, it will even, that's how my dad got saved, by the way. My dad was started seeking God. My dad's been a minister for 40 odd years now, but when he was young, in his young 20s, you know, around that time, um, he said he'd drive to work and he'd see the sun come up over the beautiful mountains. And so he said, man, there, there must be a God. Man, there, there's got to be a And he said he'd think of Moses up on the mountain with God. Well, anyway, somehow he ended up at a church, and there was a little bitty prayer meeting of like eight or ten people, something like that. And he'd come there two, three, four times, and he's seeking God, but he's not come to faith yet. And then he's there in that little prayer meeting, and then a person uh, had tongues, you know, for interpretation. And, and in the interpretation, somebody, part of the interpretation was, you know, it wasn't, I don't think it was a condemning, like, it was just a matter of fact. Like, all of you here say you're of me, but some of you are not. You know, just something, I'm probably butchering it a little, but you, I mean, that'll get your attention. Because as far as they all know, he's saved, man. He's coming to the, unbelievers don't typically go to small prayer meetings. You know what I mean? That type of thing. And uh, got his attention, and he came to faith quick, <laughs> more or less. I mean, that'll wake you up, you know. So those things, uh are good when we use that's what Paul said Paul said because because people who don't people who reject these biblical teachings they love the verse that says let all things be done decently and in order but they always leave off the verse right there before or after it that says forbid not speaking in tongues hello that's in first Corinthians 14 so all right I got to move on holy hallelujah Acts chapter 8 uh, still on page 3 on B point B is this okay today? I hope so. Good deal. Good deal. Thank you. Uh, Acts 8, 14 through 17. It says, Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, so now the, uh, the gospel's going out to the Samaritans, which if you're a Jew, that would have blown your mind. But Jesus told them in Acts 1, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the remote parts of the earth. It says, now notice what they did. It says, they sent them Peter and John, leadership, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Notice this. For they had not yet, for he had not yet fallen upon any of them, the Samaritan believers. Now he had fallen on the believers in Acts 2 in the upper room. You remember that? So they, they were empowered by the Spirit of God with the baptism of the Spirit. But, not, but these people now they had just been born again, in other words. But So moving on here, he says, For they had not yet he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Clearly a secondary subsequent experience. Look at the next verse, Acts 10, 44 through 47. And, and this is the first time uh, the Gentiles had ever heard the gospel and been saved, didn't Cornelius' house. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. How do we know he fell upon them? Keep reading. 
All the circumcised, the Jewish people, believers, who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. How do you know he was poured out on them? For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. And then in the next one, Acts chapter 11, Peter's relaying this story, bottom of the page, point D. Peter says, he's relaying the story, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. And then, Peter saying, I remembered how the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And, and there's, you know, uh, here's a powerful one, Acts 19, and we're getting close to the end here. Uh, page 4, last page, uh, top of the page, point E. Acts 19, 1 through 6. It says, It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. Well, I, I would take that to mean they are believers, followers of the Lord. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No. They, they, they were Baptist. No. That's a joke. <laughs> no. We've not even heard there's the Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, tell, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him. That is, in Jesus. Now notice this. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them. How do we know? And they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. Man, that was a good church service. Got them baptized, got them filled with the Spirit, speaking in tongues and prophesying. Woo! <laughs> Thanks, Kit. <laughs> My woo partner, yeah. So, I mean, that's just, huh, just, you know, normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill business for Paul. You know, just, oh, you guys are saved? So you must be, surely you're filled with the Spirit then. No, we're Baptists. We don't know anything about that. Well, let me tell you about it. And then gets them baptized, lays hands on them, filled with the Spirit, speaking in tongues, and prophesying. That's incredible to me. Now think, they, I mean, they, it, they didn't even know about this. And as soon as they received the Holy Spirit, the baptism, the because bapti you do receive the Holy Spirit when you're born again. But as Brother Hagin says, it's one thing to be born of the Spirit. It's another to be baptized in the Spirit, as Scripture clearly indicates here, repeatedly. Um, but this is awesome because... They, as soon as they received, they not only spoke with tongues, they were prophesying. The gifts of the Spirit are just that, gifts. They're not something you earn by whatever. They're gifts. That, now, you need to be open to them. They, they, they operate as the Holy Spirit wills, 1 Corinthians 12, by, like everything else in the kingdom, by grace through faith. So you want to be open to it. You want to be receptive to it. Paul even said at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, earnestly covet the gifts you know so that there's a god wants us to desire the gifts of the spirit 
the gifts of the Spirit, which we're looking into here now, and uh, as we're as we're closing here under under six, there you see, and then we're we'll look at that very briefly. Um, for me, the gifts of the Spirit started operating in my life. You know, I, I came to faith, and then a few months later, um, I was still living in the halfway house, and I went on a weekend visit to my parents' house, a couple hour, couple of few hours away, and uh, we go to a sun Sunday morning service. And it was the first time I ever, you know, spoke to a congregation and, and shared my testimony and how the Lord had saved me. It was the church I grew up in and all that. And so I shared that with them. Then we come home, and then we're, med you know, whatever, eating something, hanging out. My dad puts in a, a VHS. Do, do you guys know what a VHS is? Or, no, I'm teasing. <laughs> um, put in a VHS of Dave Roberson, who is the best on the teaching of praying in tongues, Check him out if you want to learn all the intricacies. His website's daveroberson.org, and there's a kajillion free teachings on there. But anything he has on praying in tongues, that's his, that's his bread and butter, more or less, um, about as good as they come. And Brother Hagen has an excellent book on it, and I think there's one copy out there. But anyways, um, so we come home. My dad puts in this Dave Roberson VHS, and dad's in there for a minute, but then he goes off, and I'm sitting there listening to Dave. And I can't do this justice or explain it adequately, but as I'm listening to Dave talk about this, it was and it was just a supernatural thing, I, I felt in that moment I would rather die than go another moment without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It, it was just a supernatural thing the Lord you know put on me as. So I go into the other room and I say, Dad, I've got to be filled with the Spirit. Will you pray with me? He takes me into his study lays hands on me, instantly receive the baptism, supernatural tongues start rolling up out of me. Well, Dad told me later, I don't know if it was later that day, next week, when it was, I think it was that day, but he told me that he had been praying that morning that, you know, Lord, Jordan's coming, and, and he's going to share his testimony with the church. Lord, I would, you know, if you move the, you know, if you have, you know, you don't, ask, you don't try to tell God what to do, but Lord, if it's, you know, if you could move the service at, in such a way that Jordan would receive the baptism of the Spirit, that'd be great. And, you know, well, it didn't happen in the service, but then I come home, and thankfully, the, uh, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availed much. And I'm watching Dave Roberson with Dad's prayer working on me that I didn't even know about, and I just thought, I I'm telling you, it's, I can't explain it. I would have rather just died, go, I'd rather, you know, be done with this, or, or get the baptism of the Spirit. It was just a supernatural hunger God put on me in that moment. Gift of faith, I don't know what it was, but anyways. And so he told me, you know, that, that he had prayed that, and so God answered that prayer. And But for me, I, I once I started regularly praying in tongues on a regular basis, maybe driving to work every day, 15 minutes there, 15 minutes back. Maybe got some free time and I spend an hour or two praying in tongues. Maybe You know what I'm saying? Not, I'm not trying to make a legalistic rule out of it, but just as I made that part of my life, my prayer life, it was about a two-year period. It's like I just woke up one day, and I, I, I remember it. I woke up one day, and the faith was there for the gifts of the Spirit. I don't know how to explain it, because the gifts of the Spirit are just fully supernatural. You can't conjure up telling a total stranger details about their life. You can't conjure up prophesying something that's going to happen a year from now and it happens. You can't conjure up praying for somebody and they get instantly healed. Like, you can't, you can't, 
fake certain things, you know? And so, but it's like I woke up one day. Now, what did Jude say? Building yourselves up on your most pure or holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. And so praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues regularly. Since then, I heard other people say the same thing. Dave Roberson, uh, when he went into full-time ministry, he'd pray in tongues for eight hours a day. And I think it was six or eight months later, he went to some prayer meeting. And as he's sitting there, and it was not a spirit-filled charismatic group, he, uh, you know, he just got drug along, I guess. I don't know. And he's sitting there, and he sees an x-ray of a woman. And I think it was her leg. And um, the, the, the Methodist, a lot of the old Methodists were really Pentecostal and spirit-filled, and then a lot of them have gone away from that. The Methodist preacher was, you know, as this thing gets to unload, you know, going on and people are praying and sharing different things. Dave, who's never done this, sees an x-ray of her leg and goes to pray for her, and her leg grows out. Because a lot of people have legs that are shorter than the other. Maybe it's a hip thing or her leg grew out, you know, you know, in Jesus' name, you know, and it became normal. And that Methodist preacher sitting there, miracles don't happen today. Miracle, well, it just happened, buddy, you know, so that type of thing. Um, Kenneth Hagan said he, same thing, said once he prayed in tongues regularly for two years, that's when uh, the gifts started happening in his life. And it just goes on and on. As Paul said, 2 Corinthians, from glory to glory. If we just go on and on in the things of God. Praying in tongues is the perfect prayer. Because I can pray and maybe I, you know, whatever. There could be any number of issues. Maybe I'm praying for someone and, of course, you don't pray by feelings. You pray by faith. All, you know, always, thank God. If you prayed for by feelings, I wouldn't ever pray for anyone just about. You know what I mean? You know, so you, everything, you do it by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. And especially, and, and I bet everyone in here can attest, because of what you've been taught, especially, usually when you first get baptized in the Holy Spirit, there's a period there, maybe three months, maybe six months, where every time you do it, you think, I'm nuts. Your mind and or the devil and or your former teaching. Oh, that stuff passed away. Oh, you, you're just making that up. You're just jibber-jabber making that stuff up. What, you know, whatever. The, the devil will make you think you're just, well, I've lost it. I'm in my prayer room. I'm just sitting here praying these funny words for 30 minutes. It, it's amazing. Think about it. The very day the kingdom of God was inaugurated and the church came into effect, the day of Pentecost, right? Acts chapter 2. The first gift the Lord gave, the baptism of the Spirit, and that's the one thing Satan fights in the church world probably more than anything else, you know? And so that should tell us how powerful and invaluable this precious gift is you know and praying in tongues is the perfect prayer my other prayers are coming through my filter of whatever you always try to do it by faith and pray scripturally of course but you know what i'm saying but maybe i got some unbelief in an area maybe i don't know the word in an area maybe what it maybe my experience fighting against what i know the word promises me whatever but every time i pray in spirit paul says the spirit of god gives the utterance he supplies the words, we supply the authority, the free will, and pray those words. And it is a perfect prayer. God's prayers get answered. And it's the Spirit of God in you. And Romans 8 tells us that as you pray in the Spirit, He's working all... Th we, it's good to use that verse, but it's even better to put it in its full context when you can. Praying in the Spirit is what part of what causes God to work things out before us and cause all things to work together for our 
good. It is the perfect prayer. It can't be messed up. I, I, I heard Dave Roberson tell a, a, a story. I know he's controversial. I can't help that. Um, about Benny Hinn. And while I believe Benny may have be, be human like I am, there is a real healing and, and miracle working gift there, right? Um, nonetheless, uh, Benny had an account where he's on a platform and he's starting to pray for people. And as he's praying for people, he sees a demon, the, the discerning of spirits. And that demon was, if I remember it right, and I may get it a little wrong, I don't ever try to embellish or whatever, was either writing down his prayers or doing something. And Benny says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm blocking your prayers. And then, however it happened, long story short, forget all the details, um, something in that account, the, that dumb devil said it to him or, or something like that, but more or less, you know, I'm blocking your prayers, except for the ones you pray in tongues. I can't stop those. I can't do anything with those. Now, that doesn't mean your prayers aren't effective. It just means the devil's an idiot and he tries to show up and do stuff. Next time you go to pray tomorrow, don't think, I wonder if there's a demon trying to block me. Maybe it was just in that instant and God needed to open his eyes to show that to him so he could rebuke it and stop it. But the long and the short of it was, it reminded Benny of how powerful praying in the Spirit is and that there's absolutely no filters or things that can try to hinder it. It's the perfect prayer all the time, every time. Am I making any sense on this? Thank God. <laughs> Pray in tongues, baby. It, it will light your fire. i got to wrap up here. Holy moly. First, point six here, in closing. 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and 5, some of my absolute favorite verses. Paul says, And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of man's wisdom, words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Those are some of my, Galatians 2.20 and this, man, these are my life verses. I got Galatians 2.20 tattooed on my left eyelid inside of it, and this one in my right eyelid, so it's always before me. You know what I'm saying? Hallelujah. Love those verses. Luke 4, 16-19, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, stood up to read, and he took the scroll or the book of Isaiah, and he opened the place and read this, quote, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Well, why? Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me by this anointing, in other words, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, set free those who are oppressed, and proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That's what we're anointed to do, to share the gospel and to break the bondages that hold people captive. It could be spiritual bondage. It could be deception in their mind bondage. It could be sickness and disease bondage. It could be unbelief in Jesus bondage. It could be any kind of bondage. But we're anointed, in essence, to share the good news that brings freedom to people. Amen? And that's glorious. Acts 10.38 reiterates that point. Peter talking how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. We went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. God doesn't oppress anyone. For God was with him. Hallelujah. 
remember Jesus was, for 30 years, the divine, sinless Son of God. But he never performed a single miracle until when he was both baptized and filled with the Spirit. The Spirit of God came upon him in that special way. Only after that did he start working miracles. So we see the, the, the connection there, the power that's in the baptism of the Spirit. Praying in tongues as much as anything. Of course, reading the Word and confessing these truths over yourself and praying in the Spirit will kindle. Paul told Timothy, stir up in, in the Greek, kindle, light the fire that's in you by the laying on of my hands, the baptism of the Spirit. So, can't go wrong with it. You can't pray in tongues too much. Now, I wouldn't recommend kind of being a fool and walking into Walmart. You know, I wouldn't necessarily be a fool. As Brother Hagen said, people would think you're nuts, and you would be, you know. But sure enough, one of you is going to leave tomorrow, and, or me. I'm going to go to Walmart tomorrow, and God's going to give me tongues for somebody in there. And, you know, but I'm just saying doing it yourself, you know. But praying in tongues, you can do as much as you want, anytime you want, where you want, doing laundry, working on something, driving somewhere, taking a shower, and it's the perfect prayer. It always builds you up. Can't go wrong with it. Hallelujah, the end. And then I just put one ending point there. If you want to, because we just won't have time, obviously, you can go to 1 Corinthians 12 uh, to see the, the, the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit and the ministry gifts, which are apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelist, pastors, and then uh, helps, governments, and diversities of tongues. And those are the eight operations of God those offices, and every member in the body of Christ, I believe, fulfills, sits in, anointed for one or more of those offices or functions, so in some capacity. The Glory Center would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope that it is encouraged and ministered to you. We also would like to invite you to check out our website at glorycenter.org.